Thanks, Jenny. Um, good evening, everyone. My name is James. Um, if you're new or visiting amongst us, it's fantastic you're here. We love having visitors. And we are, as John has said, or Paul as he refers to himself, um, we, we're working our way through this letter uh, in the New Testament called Romans. We've covered a lot of territory so far, from the bad news, uh, our universal guilt before God, uh, and then last week we got to the good news. The good news that because of Jesus' death on the cross, he has paid for sin and he's opened up a way for God to declare us righteous. We all need righteousness before God to be made right with him because we can't do it ourselves. And the cross of Christ has opened up a way for God to do that. Uh, it's, it's his way, as I said last week, of, it's his righteous way um, of righteousing the unrighteous. He saves us in a way which upholds his justice and fair character. So last week was exceptionally important. And one of the, the points or the takeaways from last week is that we're justified by faith. Um, by faith. By, not according to our works, but by trusting God. By faith. Um, I wonder if you think at times, perhaps it was last week or at other stages uh, in your life, can this really be true? Can this idea of being made right with God merely by trusting his promise, by faith, could that be true? Is it really true? Um, there might be different people here with different kinds of doubts or questions about it. Perhaps some of you feel like it's too good to be true. <clears throat> Excuse me. Too good to be true. It just doesn't seem to align with principles of God's fairness. It's, uh, maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm unworthy. I'm completely unworthy to be credited with righteousness because um, I keep relapsing into the same stubborn sin. So can this really be true, that we're made right with God by faith? Others of us might uh, have doubts or questions, but for other reasons. It's, it just seems so unfair, so unfair that God would allow some people to be saved based on their belief, like the thief at the cross, um, evil people, terrible people uh, being allowed into heaven because they've turned and, and put their faith in God, whereas good people um, seem to miss out. Um, can this really be true? Maybe for others of you, as you think about the promises of God, the idea of coming back to life after the dead and uh, living for eternity in the new creation, that just seems um, so outrageous. It's very hard to picture uh, because we've not been to the new creation. We've not seen uh, life the other side of the grave. There's different types of questions we might have uh, with this gospel. Can this really be true? Paul's aim in chapter 4 is to answer that question unequivocally. Yes, yes, this is true. You can be sure that people that turn to God in faith are right with him and are the recipients of wonderful promises. Um, that's Paul's aim. That's our aim tonight, to have confidence that this idea of being saved by faith is really wonderfully true, no matter the doubts we might have. Paul's approach in this chapter is to use the Old Testament figure of Abraham as an extended example. Um, so we'll learn lots about Abraham, 
Part of the reason he's doing that is because his Jewish readers would have been very familiar with Abraham and looked up to him. Uh, but the aim, the aim is um, not just to learn about Abraham. Uh, we read that the story of Abraham uh, was authored by God for us at the end of the chapter, uh, verse 23. It was credited to him, that is, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Uh, it was credited to that it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. Uh, It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So our aim is to leave this evening uh, absolutely confident that the way of salvation according to faith that God lays out is uh, just rock solid. Um, now, just as we uh, come to the details, this is the definition of faith that I'm working with, um, trusting in God's promise. Um, faith, uh, we, we can reduce faith to mere understanding or intellectual acknowledgement, but I think trusting is a better word. You might like to use relying or depending. Uh, it's, it's, it's putting our confidence uh, in a very real and personal way in God's promise. That's what faith is. You might hear me use that definition from time to time. Uh, And the two reasons that we're going to look at, um, the two reasons Paul gives us, as they're on the screen, reason one, God has always saved people by faith. That's more or less the first half of the chapter. Uh, And the second reason, our faith is in God, uh, who has the power to keep his promises. So they're the two reasons we can have confidence that this, is, this wonderful gospel that we're saved by faith is really true. So reason number one, um, are we really saved by faith? Yes, that has always been God's approach. Now you might think that's a, uh, a really obvious point, but for the Jewish readers uh, of Paul's letter, it wasn't an obvious point because uh, I think what we read in the Bible, even when you think of the Pharisees in Jesus' time and uh, some of the references earlier in the, the book of Romans, God's people, the Jews, had come to conflate uh, faith and works, the things they do. Um, And they developed a sense that the way they were right with God wasn't simply a matter of their trust in his promises, but it was all the things they did to express their Jewish um, law-keeping sort of culture. Um, Probably, if, if you want to picture it in a diagram it looked a bit like this it's faith and works together uh, leading to righteousness with God Um, it's not the case though a better way of understanding faith and works and we'll see how this plays out in the life of Abraham is that our faith is what leads us to being right with God and the works the things we do uh, they come afterwards as an expression of our faith but they're not the grounds upon which uh, we we have confidence. Um, so I think we're, uh, to be perfectly candid, I think we're vulnerable to making similar mistakes to Jewish the Jewish readers that Paul's referring to here. I wonder if um, from time to time, uh, as you think about yourself um, and you're looking for a, a reason to be confident that you're saved, uh, it's very easy to turn to those external tangible things that we do as Christians, the things we do as Christians, um, good things, 
mind you, good things. Uh, but I wonder if you think, well, I've been to church, um, you know, more often than I haven't. I've been reading my Bible. I'm baptised. Um, I'm a member at church. I give money to church. Um, I think it's our natural tendency, the, the human tendency, to put our confidence in the things we do um, as our ground for salvation because that makes sense to us. We can measure those things. Uh, we can see them. Sometimes we can touch them. And it makes sense that God uh, ought to be pleased with those types of things and therefore would reward us with salvation if we do them. But friends, it's just not the case. It's just not the case that that is how God works. Now, let me be crystal clear. Those things I've just mentioned are good things, things which I encourage and urge as, as expressions of a relationship with God. But they're not the source of our confidence. Um, and the example of Abraham here is really important. If you have your Bible open, uh, I'll point you to a few verses. Um, verse, verse 1. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? Remember, the Jews loved Abraham. They looked up to him. He was a, an, a great example of Jewish law-keeping. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? That's a great question, isn't it? Paul's going about it the right way. What does the scripture say? And he's quoting here from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. So we looked at the life of Abraham last year, fairly early on. Genesis 15, it says, Abraham believed God, that is the promise God had made him, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. He wasn't credited with righteousness. He, that's, that's, another, that's a phrase which just means justified, like we did last week. Uh, it wasn't because of his works, but rather his belief. Um, to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. Um, I used to work in retail s several years ago. I'm old enough to have received my pay by cash, would you believe? Um, and... I was never given the envelope of cash at the beginning of the shift um, and told, take your pay. Uh, doesn't matter what happens over the next few hours. Um, I'm paying you now. Um, now. It was always at the end. It was always at the end of the shift in response to the hours I'd done. Um, the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift but something owed. But the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly his faith is credited for righteousness. When we trust God's promise, he declares us righteous. Um, now, that was clearly the case with Abraham, and Paul just adds in David as well, verses 6 to 8, another Jewish hero who his readers would have looked up to. We won't spend long here, but he simply quotes from Psalm 32, I think it is. David, King, great King David, he was rejoicing in the blessedness of salvation uh, which was given to him not according to his good works but according to God's mercy. Um, it's always been the case that God has justified people by faith. Now there's a really important implication for this that Paul wants to get to. Um, it concerns the relationship between the, the Gentiles and the Jews. Um, in the church um, there were people from both backgrounds and you know experiencing some tension and Paul says listen uh, you Jews might be looking down on the Gentiles, 
thinking because you've got the law and you're circumcised, you're superior, but get with the program, everyone is saved the same way. Again, um, I think there's, there's something, and I'll explain my point in a moment, but there's, there's something in this uh, exhortation for us because uh, as well as putting confidence in the things we do, when we do that, it's easy to look down on other people that aren't doing the same things as us. Um, whether that's a different denomination uh, who approach church slightly differently, um, you might not verbalise it, but you might think, well, here in, in our Anglican church, we do this and we do that, and, and so, you know, we're category A. Um, I know you would never say this, um, but we must interrogate our hearts and, and expose whether we, we have a sense of arrogance that uh, the things we do makes us better than other people. Um, maybe it's not even outside these four walls thinking about another denomination or another church. Maybe it's inside. Um, well, I'm, I'm here seven out of ten times, but so-and-so is here five out of ten. Um, or I'm, I'm serving in a really significant way. Um, clearly, God uh, was much happier with me than with so-and-so who's not serving. You can fill in the gaps. The Jews had developed a similar sense of self-righteousness and superiority um, towards the Gentiles. Uh, Paul says, no, we're saved the same way. Now, you can see the question there in verse 9. Is this blessing only for the circumcised, then, the Jews, or is it for the... Also for the uncircumcised. For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 10 is really important. He's talking about the timing of events in Abraham's life. In what way then was it credited? When was Abraham credited with righteousness? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. So just consider this timeline, this very selective timeline of Abraham's life. In Genesis 15, he's about 85 years old. Um, he's having some, Abraham's having some doubts about um, the promises God has made him. The, the promise to Abraham in a nutshell, uh, well... In, in the big sense, it was that his descendants would be the heirs of the whole world, but right at the heart of it was that he would have a son, that he would have offspring. Um, and he was doubting that, but then God re- reiterates his promise in Genesis 15. Abraham believes God's promise, um, so he exercises faith, uh, and it's then that he's credited with righteousness. He's right with God. It's not until Genesis 17... Two chapters, roughly 14 years later, where God establishes the covenant of circumcision and Abraham circumcises himself. I mean, it's a, it's a terrifying thought. Um, a 99-year-old man, shaking hands and all. Um, don't think about it. Um, that's when he's circumcised. Um, that's when he did the, the Jewish kind of works of the law type thing that the, the Jews considered really important. Circumcision, obviously, later came to represent the key sort of symbol of obeying the law. Um, 
But that happened after. So Paul's point is that when Abraham was made right with God, it was before he'd done any of that works Jewish type stuff. In fact, you could say in a manner of speaking, Abraham was made right with God when he was still a Gentile because all the Jewish stuff hadn't started yet. So what this means is Abraham is the, the figurehead, the father of both Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles who have faith in, in God's promise but never receive the Jewish law, never um, involved in any of that stuff, never circumcised. He, he is the, the, the father, the ancestor of them and the father of Jews who have faith but also have the law. So in, in Abraham, God's uh, bringing about this new humanity um, of all nations, of all cultures, by faith. Um, the Jews in Rome needed to understand that. I wonder if we need to remember uh, the implications of this, as I alluded to a few moments ago. Um, there's different strands of Christianity, there's different cultures, there's different ways of doing things. I'm not, turning, I'm not encouraging you to be without discernment. It's good to think and examine what, what does the Bible say, what's, what's good practice, what's not, what are the kinds of things that are good for Christians to do as an expression of our faith. Of course, we, we turn our attention to that. But there's no place for pride and self-righteousness. And comparing ourselves uh, to others in a way which makes us feel good because uh, they're in a different category. There's no place for that. That's what faith does. Um, there's no place for pride. It's, in fact, it's a wonderful thing. That's what makes church so great, that we have a diversity of, of people and backgrounds, all saved in the same way, by faith. So is this, are we really saved by faith? Well, there's, there's one reason. That's always been God's approach. Always. It's not a new thing in the Christian gospel. It's not the case that God's changed his mind from the Jewish times. No, no, it's always been the case. Um, point two. There's another great reason um, why we can be assured that this really is true, and that is our faith is in God. And God has the power to keep his promises. Um, this is Paul's point from roughly verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Um, there's, a, there's a story of an old, old lady walking out of a church gathering um, after a service and saying to the pastor on the way out, um, oh, pastor, it's so hard to believe. And the pastor's one-word response uh, cuts to the heart of it. Whom? Whom? In other words, uh, people speak of faith as, as a quality, as, a, as a, some kind of mysterious personal attribute. Um, but the point of faith is that it always has an object. It doesn't have a life of its own. It's always directed towards something. That's why the pastor said, whom? Whom, whom is it difficult to have faith in? Um, it always irks me when people, I've got friends like this, they say, oh, you have your faith. I w- if only I had faith like you. Um, or perhaps if you're going through a difficult time, oh, you've got your faith. Um, I'm not sure whether they're envying me or, or patronising me when they say things like that. But it belies this myth that faith is a personal quality that some people have and some people don't. Um, 
but faith is always directed outward at an object. It's never directed inward. It's not a, it's not a quality or an attribute. Um, and the object in our case uh, is God's promise and his power. His words of promise and his works of power. We, God gives us promises in his words and in his works of power, he gives us evidence uh, to trust his words. He does things to demonstrate that God is perfectly capable of doing what he has promised. And the example of Abraham, again, is key. So the promise, um, again, at its heart was that he would have a son. Um, it was hard to believe because Abraham at this stage was uh, 80, 90 years old. Um, he was well past um, child, sort of uh, the, the age in which he would conceive a child. And, of course, Sarah was as well. Sarah was a similar age. Um, her womb was dead, barren. Um, it was an outrageous concept. Um, and then what Paul does here is he gives us this picture of Abraham um, and his faith. Now, on first glance, it feels a bit off because Abraham is held up in really high regard for his faith. Um, so, f- for example, verse 18, um, he believed, hoping against hope. Um, gets more complimentary in verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be dead. Verse 20, even more complimentary. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise. Now, I find this strange because when you read Genesis, uh, Abraham is not as uh, good as that. (laughs) There's lots of doubts, lots of ups and downs. But I think simply we're just to understand this as a summary, a a big picture summary of um, Abraham's life as a whole. Because on the whole, despite the ups and downs, he... He rightly responded to God's promise with faith. And I think this is Paul's point. Uh, Even though he speaks well of Abraham, he he draws our attention to the God in whom Abraham believed. Um, So, for example, verse 17. um, I've made you the father of many nations. And here's a bit about God. In the presence of the God in whom he believed. Who's that God? The one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. If you remember Genesis 15, when Abraham doubted, what did God do? He said, look up, look at the stars, look at the stars in the sky. Uh, in other words, I, I made all that. The, the one, Abraham, who's making you this promise of offspring is the one who put the stars in the sky, who created the whole world out of nothing. You, do you think I can't, Bring life from Sarah's womb? Come on. Um, Again, it's there in verse 20, God's power. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. This is is the the essence of faith. Um, trusting that God is able to do what is promised. Um, it's, not, it's not a naive, ignorant, blind leap in the dark uh, in some fanciful idea like, you know, Santa Claus, spoiler alert, or the tooth fairy. No, it's, it's, it's a reasonable uh, 
mentally engaged assessment of whether the promise maker is a promise keeper. That's what faith is. Um, well, that's certainly the, pr- the process that leads to faith. It's a reasonable, it's rational. It's a rational assessment of whether the promise maker has the power and the will to be a promise keeper. This is what faith is in all spheres of life. We think spiritual religious faith is different, but it's, it's not. Let me just use a very trivial example uh, to illustrate this. Um, who, should I, who should I confer this blessing on? Um, Michelle, I promise you that in this envelope that says ticket, I have one of the last tickets to Monday night's Taylor Swift concert. Uh, it's VIP, backstage, uh, and it's here for you if you want it. That's my promise. Um, now, do you believe that? Probably not. Probably not. Because you, you know me. Um, <laughs> uh, and you're able to use your judgment. We know, you know that those tickets are really hard to get. And I don't have thousands of dollars to spend on something like that, um, nor would I want to. Um, but that puts me in the minority these days. Um, you make an assessment as to whether the promise maker is a promise keeper. But Jono, what if I were to say to you, um, in this envelope, here's my promise. I have a member's pass for the Sydney Swans for the first game of the, of the round, of the season, opening round. They're playing Melbourne on Thursday in a few weeks' time. Um, act in faith. Come and, come and take it. Um, now, that's easier to believe and trust because, again, you, you know me. You've heard me talk about the Swans. Jono has been to a Swans match with me. He's seen it. It's believable. I've, it's not unreasonable that I have that kind of power to give him a member's tickets to a Swans match. So this is it. Uh, is the promise maker a promise keeper? That's what faith is. It's the trusting response to God's promise and power. And he gives us ample reason. It's, it's God that we put our faith in. Um, uh, I wonder if there are elements of God's promise that you just simply can't imagine being fulfilled. As I said at the beginning, will he really forgive me after all I've done? Will God really raise me from the dead? It seems astonishing. Well, the answer here is yes. God has the power to do what he's promised. That's exactly what he's like. That's exactly what he does. Um, And it's there in verse 23. It was credited to him. It was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to... It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was raised, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The, the decisive factor in salvation is not the strength of our faith, not the depth of our faith, but the direction. Maybe you've seen, you've heard of people on these treacherous bus trips. Uh, in India or Asia. If you've heard about these bus trips, thinking, I need to get from A to B, but you've heard about the route and uh, the kind of dangers involved, and you think, I would never do that. Um, But in faith, uh, you step onto the bus. Um, Once you're on the bus, 
uh, no matter the dangers or perceived uh, threats, um, the way you feel uh, will not determine whether you arrive at the destination. You might spend the whole journey sweating bullets, um, worrying, thinking, am I going to get there? Um, Is the bus going to fall off the cliff? Um, But the decisive factor in whether you arrive at your destination is not your feeling, but the bus itself, the the driver, the, the, the engine. Maybe this is a picture of what the Christian life looks like for you. Um, Full of uncertainty, um, ever conscious of the dangers, um, the the distractions. um, But friends, we are safe and secure uh, inside the promises of God. The promises of God made to us in Jesus Christ. And uh, what matters is that... uh, Jesus will take us with him into the new creation. Uh, we trust him. We, we hitch our wagon to his uh, and he will take us because it is really the case, absolutely, that God saves people by faith. Don't rely on your works, um, your performance, rely on the promise of God who is able to do what he says. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you save us, uh, not because of anything we do, but because of Jesus. Thank you that the means by which we can connect ourselves to your wonderful promises is by faith, by believing and trusting what you have assured us of. Help us to do that. uh, And thank you We we thank and praise you that you've given us ample evidence to trust your promises. You're a God of power who does what he says, and we rejoice in that. We pray in his name. Amen.